Before we get into today's message, I want to explain a bit of what you're about to hear. When the message starts, I'm wearing a backpack full of large rocks that represent the burdens that we all carry around. At times, you'll hear me pull them out, shift them around, and replace them. When I talk about those burdens, or you hear me struggle to get the pack on and off, maybe think about your own anxieties and how daily bearing the weight of them impacts your life. There are a lot of women carrying burdens, right? Makes it hard to sit down. I wouldn't be able to sit down in one of those chairs. Makes it hard to sleep. Um, as I'm talking to you, I'm very aware that it's here. I don't forget that it's here because I can feel it. Um, I have to shift position to try to get comfortable. Why are we so burdened? Why are women especially so burdened? Uh, before I take this off, has anybody ever heard of the book, uh, Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti? Isn't that funny? It's kind of the Christian take on men are from Mars, women are from Venus. They're generalizations about the genders, but nonetheless, a lot of them are very true. Uh, men and women process things very differently. Men uh, process life in boxes, and a waffle is basically a bunch of individual boxes that are separated from each other. They're little convenient holding places, and that's how they process life. That's how they perceive their life. Um, boxes have room for one issue and one issue only, um, and, he, and he will live in one box at a time. So if he's at home, he's at home. If he's at work, he's at work. So when you're single and you're like, why isn't he texting me? Why isn't he texting me? Why isn't he texting me? I, I'm, too back, I'm too old for that. For me, it was like, why isn't he calling me? Why isn't he emailing me? Why isn't he messaging me on AOL or whatever? Why isn't he aiming me? You know, um, He's at work. When he's in the garage tinkering, he's in the garage tinkering, right? When he's watching the news, he's watching the news. Social scientists call this compartmentalizing. You're putting life and responsibilities into different compartments. Um, and a man will strategically organize his life this way and then spend most of his time in the boxes where he can succeed. He likes those boxes, right? In fact, he'll seek out the boxes that work and he'll ignore the boxes that confuse him or make him feel like a failure. Which I thought was interesting because a lot of times a woman will go to the failure box with a warm blanket, some cocoa and some Netflix and hang out in there. <laughs> That's where she wants to be, right? She's like, I don't even belong in the successful boxes, right? And the men are like, this is my box, I reign, you know. Very different. Women, on the other hand, are like spaghetti. Women process life and perceive it more like pasta, right? All the noodles touch. There's no walls. You, you can't pull one piece out without affecting everything else. That's how we process life. Every thought and issue is connected to every other thought. How many times have you started with thought A? Like, I need to get gas, and you're talking to your friend or your husband, and then you end up with a Mariners game three years ago or something. Like, you just, you get, go. You end up at Z, and you don't even know how you got there. I'll start talking, my husband's like, that's three sentences you haven't completed. I'm like, I, I know, I'm spaghetti. I'm sorry. 
the whatever I'm going to pick, right? Women actually have 40% more connections across the right and left hemisphere of their brains over their corpus callosum. So we just kind of shift. We flow back and forth between the right and the left sides where men are more like, I'm in the right side now, I'm in the left side, I'm in the right side. I think women like to think we're always on the right side, but you know, they, they, it takes a little more work. And that's why we're typically better at multitasking. So you can be like making eggs in the morning and then you're on the phone making a doctor's appointment like this, or got your earbuds in, and you're um, writing a to-do list, scratching it down on a post-it over here, and thinking about the agenda for the meeting you have at work later that afternoon, and then your kids run out, and you're saying, you better make sure you're back by this time, because you have this going on, and they leave the door open, and you shut it with your foot, and it's all happening, like, seamlessly, like, without any sort of issue. Because our thoughts, and our emotions, and our convictions are all connected, we process more information and we can keep track of more of our activities. But this can also work against us. Because, oh my gosh, everything is connected and we don't go from square to square. Let's see, where can I put this? I'm gonna put it right here. That's some of y'all this morning right there. So, we can be taking a shower, totally innocent, easy, no stress involved. Taking a shower, and we're thinking about, okay, my son's going to have to have teeth pulled. I don't want to tell him that, okay? Um, I need to make a dentist appointment. I haven't had a dentist appointment in like two years. I also need to make a doctor's appointment. Okay, I need to make a doctor's Hey, Siri, remind me to make a doctor's appointment. Um, I need to make a doctor's appointment. And, um, oh, Siri just made me a doctor's appointment. Siri just reminded me to make a doctor's appointment. Thank you. Um, you know, I need to follow up on my high cholesterol. So you're still showering. Didn't my mom have high cholesterol? Did my mom? She also had heart disease. Am I going to have heart disease? Oh, I miss my mom. So there's sadness. And I'm just taking a shower. Right? Let me start shampooing. I got to buy my cousin a birthday gift. So I'm going to go to Target. What if an active shooter comes into Target? <laughs> do I hide like in the dressing rooms or do I get in between the clothes or, you know, hide behind the customer counter? Like what, what do I need to teach my kids to do? Those families that lost their kids in Florida, oh my gosh, oh, those 110 girls abducted in Nigeria. And then every time something happens, no matter where it is in the world, to a child, as a parent, you're like, that's my child. You feel like that could happen, that could happen to my child. So then you have some fear. Then you start shaving. Who doesn't love that? <laughs> so you're bent over and your back is bugging you and you're like, how's my sister doing after back surgery? I, I should have called her. I really need to call her and oh shoot, I never called my dad back. I never call my dad back. I really should spend more time with my dad. So there we have some guilt. Hmm. And then you're rinsing off. I really need a job. I really need a job. Why is my husband working so much? 
It's like working all the time. I was hoping we could have a family dinner tonight. God, why haven't you healed my family? And then some of you are like, God, why haven't you given me a family? So then you have disappointment. There are things that, um, you know, you have a Christmas party that you have to plan for for 150 people. Now, that's super fun, and that's an exciting thing. And it looks really pretty, but it's still a burden. And then you're planning your parents' 50th anniversary party with all the family members and all the different things, and that's super fun. But it's also, and it's sparkly, but it's also a burden that starts to stack up. So all of this is going on at the same time. And it's all connected. And they all crash together and they join up into this big jumble and heap a giant burden on our heads. And we don't have a box to go into to escape. We're just thinking everything from world news to, you know. Did you know that women are twice as likely to develop an anxiety disorder as men? And anxious women are more likely to develop an additional anxiety disorder, like an eating disorder or depression. And it's said it's because, in general, women ruminate more than men. Women ruminate more than men. This word ruminate literally is chew the cud. Chew the cud. It's from the Latin word chewed over, and it's the process where a cow regurgitates what it's already eaten to chew it again, right? The synonyms are contemplate, mull over, meditate on it. To ruminate is to go over in the mind repeatedly and often, casually and slowly. We just keep pulling it up. Doesn't that describe us? Don't get me wrong, I'm not calling us like a bunch of cows or anything. Can't be like, I want to be a man, can't say we're like a bunch of cows. No, but we can ruminate like a cow. We chew the cud of our worries. Does that make sense? We deal with them and then we're like, oh, here it is again. I better think about it some more. Anxious people dwell on potential negative outcomes and assume irrational and disproportionate responsibility for fixing the disasters they imagine will occur. We try to come up with a solution for all the things that worry us. If we can manage it, we can make it, right? Author Andrea Peterson says this, there is no greater risk factor for anxiety disorders than being born female. And so here we are. In 2011, one in four women was on antidepressants, and women are still using or at least prescribed these medications at higher rates than men. And I want to point out there is no shame in being on medication. When I had postpartum depression and anxiety, I was on two to cope with my postpartum depression. I was given Ativan then, and I still have little half milligram ones with when my hormones go crazy, if I feel anxiety, I will take one. When I had my uh, anxiety attack in January, um, which I haven't had one since, my doctor prescribed Xanax, which is the number one prescribed psychiatric drug anywhere. Um, and my goal is to never have to take that. My goal is to deal with my anxiety in the way I'm going to be talking about, and my goal is to not be on medication. But I have been on it, and so I don't, anyone, don't want anyone to feel shame for it. But my goal for you is that with God's help and the Holy Spirit, that you would not have to deal with that kind of anxiety anymore. So 
I think our spaghettiness is one of the reasons that we have these burdens. Oh my gosh. So we take it all in, all that information, we carry it throughout the day, through our lunch dates, our play dates, our work days, our date nights. Your husband's all, really, are you gonna bring that? <laughs> Doesn't really go with your outfit. We're like, I got this, you won't even notice it's here, you know? <laughs> it goes with us, we take it to bed with us. Try sleeping on this. You can't, it'll keep you awake all night, right? And often it's this low-grade sort of anxiety or worry, this undercurrent, and it's become almost like a cultural habit. It's okay. Your brain's been conditioned to it, right? To worry. It's like background noise you forget about, and then pretty soon it just seems normal to be worried all the time. That's not normal. That's not how God designed you to be. That's not his plan. Many years ago, God gave me a picture about a backpack like this, and it was full of things that caused me anxiety and worry. And in this picture, I was walking with Jesus with my big backpack. And it was full of, you know, things that are too small to require his help. God's got bigger things to deal with than my stuff. Or things that felt too impossible. Or fears of the future. Dreams that I thought he might take away. Or things maybe I thought he would ask of me. And it caused me anxiety. Now in 2018, we have, in addition to those, the safety of my kids. People are dying from the flu. There's terrorism. We all know what active shooters are, right? Our parents are aging. There's sex trafficking. The contents have gotten darker and heavier. So when I wanted to look at the things in my pack, I would leave Jesus. I'd go over to this little grassy hill, and I would start just going through the stuff in my pack. And I might cry, I might stress out, I'd really feel the weight of it. I'd look at each and every one and feel it and look at it and just get it all out. And then I would zip it up, come back, take his hand, and we would proceed. But God was telling me he wanted to be present with me when I went through this path. Because anything that takes up space in our hearts and in your thoughts, he cares about. He wants in on. He's interested in. In fact, he wanted to carry this for me. And then whenever I wanted to just take a look at how things were coming, he'd be willing to take it down off of his big broad shoulder, crouch down with me, and go through it with him there in the presence of the Holy Spirit, where he could look at them and give his perspective, his truth, his power, his comfort, to strengthen, to equip, to remind me of who he was. He would be there speaking his truth into every single situation. You know who was on that grassy hill with me when I'd step over by myself? Satan was over there, more than happy to go through my bag of burdens and anxieties with me. That's just a cheerleader you need, right? When you're struggling with anxiety or fear, when you're afraid. I'm gonna show you a little bit about what that looks like. 
I'm gonna need, this is audience participation. Are you ready? So, you got your bag of burdens that you've pulled off out of God's presence and you're going through it all and Satan is right there. Ready? Are you guys ready? Give me a D! Give me another O. o. Give me an M. M. What's that spell? Doom! Doom, doom, doom. You're never going to be okay. You are never going to be okay. Now, how do you think the, the team would do if that's what cheerleaders cheer? They'd be like, thanks a lot. Okay. But there he is. And that's what he does. He loves to paralyze us with fear because it causes us to doubt God and mistrust God. And then he knows he's got us, right? God wanted me to be in his presence, in the presence of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and allow him to carry my burdens. Allow him to take those. How often in our spaghetti brains do we have burdens that we don't let him carry? Psalm 68, 19 says, Blessed be Yahweh who daily bears our burden. The God who is our salvation. Daily can be interpreted as always, continually, all my days. And the word for bears is carrying a load. And so it's blessed be our God who always carries our load. Or it can say he loads it onto himself. That's how willing he is. He's like, if you just take me there, I'll load it on myself. I'll do all the heavy lifting, right? What areas are you dealing with this morning that you've already decided you're going to just get through it on your own? If you're handling anything in this life on your own, carrying its weight by yourself because it seems too little or too big or too cherished to get over, give over, I know with having kids, that's probably the hardest thing for me is to trust God with my kids to keep them safe, so I'm like, I gotta keep them safe. Anything that we are doing on our own, our bodies aren't made to carry the weight of worry that some of us are carrying. We weren't designed for that. The Apostle Peter would say that the thing that keeps us from giving Jesus our burdens is our own pride, because we don't think he can be trusted, really. We can do better with it than he can. He wants to take your fears, anxieties, stresses, and pains, and we say, you wouldn't really understand, or you've got bigger things to deal with. I've got this. I've got this. But it's only when we humble ourselves that the grace of God can enter into our circumstances. I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 
To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter's readers were going through some hard times. Um, he's writing to scattered believers that are Jewish and Gentile all around the Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. Um, they were just beginning to see persecution, most likely under Nero. Um, Christians were more and more being seen as a peculiar, strange people, as we should be still, but they were very misunderstood. Their allegiance to Jesus that kept them from worshiping the emperor and the state gods was a lack of patriotism. Romans viewed Christians as atheists because they rejected their gods. They were seen as cannibals because they would, there would be these rumors of they ate the body of Jesus and they drank the blood of Jesus. So they were cannibals. They were also incestuous because they would say, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. And so there were all these misunderstandings. So people thought Christians were so strange. And in parts of the empire, there was official persecution happening. In some places, individuals were executed merely for admitting that they worshiped Jesus Christ. So these people were afraid of dying. Anyone relate to that in 2018? I know that's been a fear that has come up more and more as the news comes out, you know? The first thing we see is Peter exhorting his readers to humble themselves. And at the proper time, they would be exalted, and I'll get to that in a minute. He's tying into verse 5, where he quotes, quotes Proverbs 3.34, God is opposed to the proud, but he will give grace to the humble. We can only resist the devil's attacks on our peace when we humble ourselves. And this isn't about not bragging. It's not a humbling yourself like, I'm not going to say I'm all that. It's not that kind of humble. It's about allowing ourselves to be transparent before Jesus. Human and weak. And let him see our burdens. Let him see us so he can deal with them. Let him in on our attacks, on our fears, on our sins, on our addictions. Let him in. That's humbling yourself. Jesus, I can do nothing. I cannot do this. I can't handle it. I can't beat it. I can't offer you anything. I can't even put one foot forward. I am helpless. It's all got to be you because I can't. I've tried and I cannot do this. That's humbling yourselves. And it says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And it's not like under the mighty hand of God, like he's like this. It's not like that. Remember the Old Testament, the hand of God delivered the people of Israel, right? It's a reminder of whose care we are in. We're under his protective covering, under the mighty hand of God, his shadow. And there's a promise here of exaltation when we humble ourselves. This is not worship. We think if we exalt you, this isn't a promise of that type of exaltation. When we humble ourselves, it's to lift up on high, to raise to dignity, honor, and happiness. When you humble yourselves and come to him with nothing, he will lift you up, he will lift you out of your situation, out of your own self-degradation, out of our ideals, out of our pity parties, Humble yourselves, and he's going to lift you up out of that. Verse 7, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And this is really key for this morning. This is how Peter defines humbling ourselves before God, by entrusting our lives and our cares to him. And I'm going to break this down in the Greek. When it says cast 
all your anxiety, the word is epiriptu, to throw upon, to place upon, to cast on. This isn't aimless like you take off your jacket and you throw it on the ground, or your son does. You know, it's not just there's a spider and you kind of aimlessly cast it off. It's actually casting it onto something. It's putting it on something. And remember, he loads our burdens onto himself. And he says, all your anxiety. And this word pas is all, all people, all things, all ways, any, anyone, anything, every, everyone, everything, whoever, whole. That kind of covers it, right? So you give him all of these things this morning. All the people, all the things, all ways, whoever, whatever. Heave it over to him. Heave it over to him. Marimna is anxiety. Your care, your anxieties, the word is anxiety. Because he cares for you. Mele, it's he thinks about you. He's implying this concern. So Peter's not commanding the people to cast their cares. He's encouraging them that when they cast their cares on him, when they put their cares on him, he'll take them because he cares for them. They can be confident that God, the God who cares for them and thinks about them will take those anxieties on himself, and he will help. And that's what a lot of you need to hear this morning. He will take those on, and he will help. But looking at the Greek and having it explained doesn't make it any easier to do. Right? This is something we have to practice until it becomes a habit. And that might mean many times a day that burden comes and you're like, you hold it captive. I'm, I'm putting, I, I cast that on him. I'm going to give that to God. That burden goes to him. It's not mine to carry. I'm going to give it over. I'm going to give it over. I'm going to give it over. My kids, giving them over. My worries, I'm giving it over. It's not mine to carry. I was not meant to carry it the entire day. It has to become a habit to give things over to him right away. So we have to create a habit, and we also have to acknowledge a very real enemy that is all tied up in anxiety. Verse 8, be of sober spirit, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Peter says, pay attention, right here, pay attention, because I'm about to tell you what it's the, the key thing. Who is our adversary? Satan. You might think it's your ex-husband. You might think it's your kid's teacher. You might think it's that pain in your leg. You might think, no. Peter personifies the opposition of the Christian movement in a single opponent. Now, there are Gentiles, there's the disobedient, there's the foolish, there's the cruel masters. There's all sorts of people involved, but he personifies it as the adversary. Let's just take it to one Thing, the adversary, your opponent. We can list our oppositions this morning. Maybe people in our lives that cause us strife or a situation that brings constant worry, an illness, a fear, but we can personify our opposition as one adversary, the devil, like our true opponent in this life. He's the enemy of God and humanity in the broadest possible sense, and he is prowling around. 
He's not some make-believe with shiny ears and glittery pom-poms. He's very real. King of all demons. You need to acknowledge that he's real, okay? And he's prowling. This word, besides to walk, is to make one's way progress, which means there's a moving forward. Progress, to make due use of opportunities. So he'll look for any crack to exploit in your life and try to find inroads into your mind, into your heart. He's going to prowl and he's going to progress. He's going to move forward and look for opportunities. And he's seeking someone to devour. This word, catapino, to drink down, swallow, devour, to swallow up, destroy, drown. Who in here knows that's what anxiety feels like? That's what fear feels like, right? It swallows you up till you barely exist. You can drown in your worries, and Satan will pull you down so fast you don't know which way is up. You can't even see truth. He lies. He whispers worst-case scenarios and has you live under those. Hello, WebMD or any other internet medical search engine, right? He tempts you to fear. He tempts you to mistrust the living God who is your power and your might and your savior and your healer and your deliverer and all those things. You start to trust Satan's ability to harm you over God's ability to help you. And that's backwards. And Jesus is there concerned, saying, don't let the devil fool you. Don't let the devil pull you down. Give all those things to me. Don't let him bury you. Just hand them over. Hand them over. I'll take them. Verse 9, resist him. Firm in your faith. Faith here is not just our doctrine or our, this is our belief system. Faith. It's a commitment to trust God. It is stubborn. It is rock-like to trust him. I will trust him no matter what my eyes see. I will trust him no matter what the doctor says. I will trust him no matter what my body feels. I will trust God. I will line up my faith with his word and not anything else. We resist Satan by trusting God because it takes away his weapons. Satan wants to drown you this morning. He wants you to give up. He wants you to just give in to your fears, give in to your anxieties, give in to your burdens. But instead of saying, I give up, this morning you're going to say, I'm going to give it over to Jesus. I'm done with this. He's my burden bearer. He can carry this pack. I'm done. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm still going to give it to him. I'm going to give him my kids. I'm going to give him my marriage. I'm going to give him my health. I'm going to give him my job. You know, if you have to picture that, picture it. I'm going to leave my kids in the throne room with God, and I'm going to trust he has their days numbered and planned out, and I'm going to not be worrying about them. We're going to say, I trust him. And that's where your strength is going to be. It's an internal battle that you wage in your mind, and you have to do it daily. Um, I've been reading through this book called Battlefield of the Mind with Joyce Meyer, and it's all about 
that's where the battlefield is. And it's full of great scriptures that you can write and put on your mirror, things that remind you, okay? Um, somebody here is like needing, I, and now I want to give this book away, but I wanted to give it to someone who's going to read it and it's not going to come home and sit on your shelf. You're going to actually, you're like, I want to devour that book because I need freedom and I want to be able to read everything that's in that. So everybody's pointing to you. I'm sorry. I have it already. So I, I was, I was <laughs> this is a great book because that's really where so much of our battle is, especially as women, as we ruminate. It's all up here. You're welcome. So we have a choice. We can manage our own anxiety and fear with information. You know, I looked up the statistics of a plane crashing, and, you know, it's, there's a more chance of dying by a shark attack than flying in a plane. I know that because I was managing my fear with statistics, right? With more information, with routines. You're trying to outthink the disaster, right? Or we can just say, it's his. It's his. I can't go every day wondering if terrorism is going to affect my family. I can't. But that's what we're doing. That's not the way we're meant to live. It is robbing us of our lives, and we aren't able to walk out God into the things God wants us to when we're like that. Verse 10, God of all grace will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I'm not going to go into all the Greek here, but because there's so much good stuff, I'm going to read you the same verse using some of the Greek definitions. When you resist Satan and stand firm in your faith, in God's love for you, God will perfect, mend, what has been torn, restore, and make complete. He will confirm, settle. He will settle you. He will strengthen and establish you, which means to make stable. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Repaired, restored, complete, settled, and stable. Well, he has that for you. He has that for all of us this morning. So many of us here this morning are drowning in spaghetti, which sounds, you know, delicious, really. <laughs> but it's so messy. And for some of us, it's making us sick, right? Our minds are full of not only our personal problems, but the world's problems. Those things that stream on CNN, they get hashtagged in our feeds, fill up our Facebook news feeds. We get texted news alerts. They get emailed to us from our child's school. The devil has swallowed us up in anxiety. Fear of what God won't do. Fear of what God will do. And we have this invisible pack on our back carrying our anxious thoughts about family, health, relationships, parents, job, future, life. And we go through them mentally. Daily, we go through them without even meaning to and without inviting the presence of God. We just kind of got into that habit. Well, he wants to take those burdens from you this morning. I have had such an incredible sense of expectation for what God wants to do this morning in setting women free of anxiety, depression, fear, so I'm really excited because I know some of you ladies are so tired. You're so tired. So we're going to pray in a minute. But first, I'm just going to give you a couple practical tips. 
Number one, turn off the toxic spigots that are just filling up your home, okay? TV, Yahoo News, Fox News. My parents would get the paper, look through it, close it and put it down. And then maybe they'd watch the 11 o'clock news. That there was a natural ending to that consumption of news. And the world news wasn't that big. Now we get alerts, there's just no natural shut off. You gotta shut some of that off. And some of you, you're burdened to pray, and I get that. You hear about what's going on, you wanna pray. We can pray, but then you gotta give it over. And then you don't read 20 articles on it and watch the videos and, and the, the witness accounts and who lost who. It's ugly. So you pray for them and you give the burden to God because it's his. It's not yours to carry, okay? Unless he says, I need you to be interceding for this family for the next few weeks. Then you do that. But for the most part, you pray and you give it over. You can't handle the world news on your shoulders every day. Getting more information doesn't serve any good purpose. It just gives us more information. Number two, meditate on the word, not on your worries. Right? Ruminate means to meditate. We meditate on our anxieties and our fears. But the Bible tells us to meditate on the word. That means we got to read our Bibles. We got to read our Bibles. Meditate on that. You want to get out of anxiety? Start meditating on the word. Write down scriptures on anxiety and strength and hope and who God is. And write those. Have them on your mirror. Have them on your fridge. Have them in your car. Let that be your go-to. And read your Bibles, not the internet. Because you get a fear and we go google.com or news and not, I need to go to the Word. Number three, put up a fight with fear. And by this, what I'm saying is we give fear too much room. We can live, and that's just the way I am, we say. I'm just anxious. I'm just fearful. I'm just like that. No, we can't. We give them, we, we, we give them too much room. We don't fight fear. See fear as a bully and say, I'm done. I will not be bullied by you anymore. Do you know fear makes you ask permission to do things? Does that make sense? You ask fear, can I go on that missions trip to Haiti? Oh no, that is a hard no. You, you're afraid of flying. And then you have to deal with all these people. Sorry, can't go. Okay, so then you go up to fear. Fear, so I want to quit my job. There's a really good opportunity over here. Mm, no. Then you'd have to meet all new people. I'm sorry. You've got you to stay where you're at. Doesn't that disgust you? We ask fear for permission to live our lives because he's a bully. It's robbing you of living. Sometimes it's just a decision to not let it control you. When I flew home on my last flight, because I can be afraid of flying, I just pictured shutting fear in a dungeon. And I'm like, nope, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm just going to fly this plane home. You know, it's an hour flight. I can handle it. Sometimes it's about making a decision not to let it control you. And sometimes it's about rebuking fear with the authority you've been given with the Holy Spirit and saying, I will not, I will not deal with you, fear. I'm going to shut you down in Jesus' name. You rebuke fear. You step up to the bully with your secret weapon, which is the Holy Spirit. But we forget to pray. 
the anxiety comes, the fear comes, and we don't pray about it. We don't rebuke it. We don't fight it. We just let it come. We got to fight it. Warrior women, you got to fight it. Some of this is need, it needs to be fought. So I've invited my best friend and her husband here this morning, and they have a ministry here in Livermore. And if ever I want healing, prayer, an encounter with, the, with God, people need healing, I'm like, go to Kingdom of Grace, go to Kingdom of Grace, because you're going to encounter the Lord. They're going to pray for anxiety disorders, fear, depression. This talk won't change you. Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. It'll change some habits. But an encounter of God, that will change you. That will change you. So um, I have a couple words that the Lord gave me that I'm going to just put out there. Um, Number one, somebody's dealing with extreme disappointment. Like extreme. Like something was just snatched away from you. Like the plane was landing, not disfiguratively. And you're like, yes, it's landing, it's landing. And then the pilot's all, the pilot takes the plane up and is like, I'm sorry, folks. We're going to be up in a holding pattern now. It's out of our control. And you were this close. And you just, the disappointment is suffocating. Um, I want you to make sure that you get prayer. And secondly, there's somebody here that you think you're staring at a period, but it's a comma. You think you're staring at a period, but it's a comma. And you need to trust God in that comma. You need to trust God in the pause. And even death is a comma if you think about it, right? But trust God in, that, in the period. That's not, he's not done yet with it. And thirdly, somebody has anxiety with men particularly for whatever with your past, and I want you to come up and get prayer um, specifically because we have Gary here as well. Um, So we're going to go into a time of prayer after I pray. There's discussion questions. If you want to go through your discussion questions at your tables, they're here. They're going to be up here. Do that um, quietly. And then whoever wants prayer, I'm going to be up here. Jenny's going to be up here. Gary's going to be up here. And we're going to go over here. And if you want prayer, anxiety, fear, depression, we're going to pray for you. We're just going to lay hands on you and and pray for you. Okay? And um, it's a really good thing. So I want to encourage you guys to do that. And we're just going to be here as long as we need to do that. So uh, let me pray. God, I thank you that you're like dealing with things all around the world, but you're also here with your daughters, and you are offering to take our burdens. You, you, we're not living life in abundance. We're living life burdened. And um, that's not what you have planned for us. You have things for us to do, things for us to see, and we're missing out. And so I ask, Lord, for every woman, for you to fill her with your peace right now. I pray, Lord, for your anointing to be here, for, for bondages to be broken, for prison cells to be opened, and for women to see victory in this area. Supernatural healing, deliverance, and restoration. In Jesus' name, we just ask that you come and move in this place and um, bring life change that is irreversible, and powerful. I trust you, Holy Spirit, to have your way and do your work here among these women that I love so much. Amen.